Started. I love this first question. Uh, Dr. Graham Pichet, my child loves video games and I'm convinced that it isn't all bad for him. Uh, I do think it needs to be measured though. He is 11 and high functioning. How much time should I allow him to play video games daily? Oh, this is a huge question, right? And I love this question. <laughs> okay, good. Because of where I am right now in my own work. Okay. So, first of all, yes, um, you're absolutely right. It's not all uh, video Video games are bad. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the fastest answer to this is like uh, anything else. You know, uh, forget the diagnosis, and this is your child. Families have different. Uh, I guess uh, rules about how much time they allow their kids to be on the computer on uh, or watching TV or anything else and the same holds true for our kids um, if you feel that your child is using his uh, uh, computer let's say too much it's excessive then limit it to what you feel is an appropriate period of time for him to be on the computer um, or anything else TV and so on um, and just make sure that uh, the time that he is on the computer or on a video game uh, um, is not, it doesn't become sort of an obsessive type of behavior. In other words, when he's interacting with the game, uh, you can, just like you would with any other child, say, okay, in about five minutes you're going to be done because we have to go somewhere or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's as, as long as it doesn't become obsessive and rigid and, uh, you know, takes over his entire life, mm -hmm. then I think it's absolutely fine. And generally, I guess I, with my own son, I'll allow, let's say, uh, two hours max per day. Okay. Um, but really, it depends on what your family structure is and how you would typically do that with any other child, with your okay. typically developing kids. Our kids do have the tendency to become a little bit uh, too engaged in yeah. anything that they like, yeah. not just uh, video games or computer. But um, having said that, mm -hmm. there's this whole other side of science that's coming into the field, and I'm so excited yeah. because I'm... Uh, connecting with some people um, and in Boston who are building games and mm -hmm. also at the uh, University of California, San Francisco, UCSF. And this whole thing is called therapeutic gaming and um, I'm very, very excited about this because we feel that, of course, like anything else, I mean, you know, our kids, of course, are actually more focused when they're on the computer, right? Yeah. I mean, than, than with, with people, yeah. let's say. And with anything else, you can use technology to teach. Yeah. And we're just beginning to develop a series of games, mm. um, and we hope to be able to, at the same time, conduct the research that goes with these games to show that certain types of gaming um, will not only teach skills, mm -hmm. but will also teach certain things like increased attention, yeah. um, being able to avoid distractions, you know, all sort inhibition, all mm -hmm. sorts of t different executive functioning skills that we're very interested in increasing in our kids. Yeah. Overall, you know, with the situation that exists right now of course we have insurance funding but mm -hmm. even now just you know we haven't even had insurance funding in california let's say for it's not even a year yet yeah. and a lot of the funding sources are beginning to realize 
whoa, these programs are expensive, long-term, pretty intensive. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of reasons are coming up where our funding sources are trying to reduce uh, right. funding already. And of course, that's, even though we're very blessed in California, as you know, Shannon, and we have uh, the Regional Center System, um, which is Department of Developmental Services, essentially, and funding. And then we have school district funding, and now we have yeah. insurance funding, and many other states have different sources of funding. Nevertheless, if we can try to use some therapeutic gaming mm -hmm. uh, to help increase our kids' skills without needing an individual present all the time, mm -hmm. then those skills that they learn can uh, be generalized. In other words, when you have therapists, the therapist can be working with generalizing those skills to yeah. other environments, other people, and so on, but the core content of the skill and certain activities will the child can learn on the computer. It's so smart. I have to say it seems like a win-win. It's so time excited. well spent yeah. and, and and as I was reading it I was thinking boy for me as a parent it kind of depends on what kinds of games because there are educational games Absolutely. that he plays and then there are ones but I have a follow-up for you on this question now that we're talking sure. about this because my kid is really into the video games. Sure. Um, and you mentioned you know it's really you have to be careful about not letting them get to a place where they're obsessive about it. So my question is what do you do when you've already gotten to that point when you see that the child is obsessed and you go okay I blew it and now I got to backtrack some some way how can you do that in a way that's not completely disruptive and not having a lot of challenging behavior sure because I feel like he's a little bit you know I've said Into to him you're much. you're a little bit of an addict and when you try to take it away right. is when and, and when I try to limit it I have to be sneaky about it sometimes and I don't think I'm getting it done right, right. so what what would you yeah, recommend? Yeah, and I think part of what we don't realize with our kids is it's not just that we're taking away a preferred item, mm -hmm. obviously, which is an aversive process if you take something preferred away, but it's also the lack of control they have over when it happens. Yeah. So I think it helps our kids if they have a schedule. Okay. So in other words, just like school. You know, our kids go to school, they know they have from this time to this time their least favorite course, mm -hmm. a class, but then from the next hour, a favorite class mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And just like anything else, it helps us get through life. So if you can do a schedule um, that shows this is the time frame that you get to be on the computer in the morning and this is the time frame in the afternoon or you have a different schedule on mm -hmm. the weekends perhaps, then it becomes much more not your fault but the right. schedule's fault <laughs> that <laughs> this is just my time frame. This is what yeah. I'm supposed to be doing this and it's perfectly fine and you can use any source of thing. You can have a, a watch go mm -hmm. off, you can have a timer present, you can have whatever to let him get into the process of understanding that this time frame is what it is. Yeah. Now if he's, let's say right now at four hours a day and you want to reduce this to two hours, mm -hmm. then start with the four hour timer okay. and the next time you set it, set it for three hours and 45 minutes, okay. then set it for three hours and 30 minutes, then 350, you know, just reduce it gradually. So, so don't cold turkey him. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And very important is when he's not on the computer, he can't just be free. Right. You have to replace it with something, you know, a, a closely uh, engaging and okay. that's cl at close to the same levels. So if he's not on the computer, then that means you're going to be doing an activity with him, perhaps mm -hmm. taking him out, perhaps having him do some other type of chore that's in the house idea. or something that occupies him. Right. And, you know, during the time that 
this is the last point on this, but mm -hmm. during the time that he's over-engaged, this is a really good opportunity to teach him some behaviors during that phase. So for instance, he's really into his computer mm -hmm. and you call his name and he doesn't respond. Mm -hmm. So that's a task you need to refresh. It's like, you know, the whole cognitive set shifting thing, which okay. is you're so focused on this, but if I call you, you need to stop for a moment, look at me, answer, do everything that you're supposed mm -hmm. to do, and then you can go back to it. There you have a great opportunity to teach set shifting. Or if you would want to teach dual attention, like while he's doing that, then, you know, just be talking to him in the background or from the other room and see if he can comprehend what's going on there and back and forth. There's a lot of different types of skills that you can work on when he's engaged in something so that it teaches him, you know, flexibility mm -hmm. and actually increased speed yeah. with moving his attention to other things and back as well. And you said this is called set shifting? Set shifting, yeah. It's when you are involved with one activity and then you can move to another one and back okay. fast rapidly. I mean, we do that all the time, right? Okay. And a lot of our kids have problems with switching from one thing to another. And if you can teach them these types of things, I mean, actually, if you look in our skills program under yeah. the section, executive functioning section under the attention program, okay. there's a million different things about attention, like being able to pay attention to a background stimulus when you're involved with something, or being able to switch attention, mm -hmm. or being able to have, you know, some form of dual attention. So mm -hmm. you're paying attention to your paper or your computer, but also the teacher. There's a lot of different aspects of attention that are important and so a lot of when someone's engaged in something mm -hmm. those are the opportunities to, to teach okay, those skills but overall again the way I think about it is with with kids on the spectrum what you're trying to do I guess more than anything else and it really depends this family had written about a child who's pretty high functioning I think yeah. they said yeah. and if you are very high functioning then you really the biggest goal would be teaching you social skills mm -hmm. right and you know being on a computer is the exact opposite of social skills so in that case you <laughs> as sort of much as we confuse it in life now with Facebook and all the other social right you know networking stuff right. it is the opposite oh, of it social. Is. it's extremely isolating yeah um, and you know there have been a lot of studies on how true friendships have decreased because mm. multiple friendships on a social media basis have increased mm -hmm. so you have more friends right but not real friendships interesting because you use social media we yeah. use social media so much um, but you know for for a, a more uh, let's say a child who has more symptoms not enough language not mm -hmm. enough content yet skills then I think it's um, allowable to have a little bit more time on the computer because they can learn content skills okay. on the computer okay. whereas social skills are a little bit harder to learn using a computer now also I do remember with some of my kids when they were almost finished the computer was an object that would actually increase their social skills if there was a child there yeah. so they would have their buddy come over and that is a whole different thing okay like playing with your friend interactively on video games 
that's not a bad entrance to social skills right. actually because that is a very typical thing for a certain age of boys yeah so you know and nowadays oh my gosh the stuff that's out there yeah. I mean you, you talk about video games that most of this uh, Xbox and so on are using connect yeah so it reads your body language yeah. and all that I mean the the dance programs the imitation yeah. types of program they're awesome because they really yeah. teach our child to imitate not only the screen but his buddy or friend who's competing yes. against him yeah so I, I, you have to consider all of those things okay you know if you have someone who is trying to spend eight hours a day on let's say a program that's non-interactive mm -hmm. on their own that's not good that's a whole okay. different story yeah okay now uh, you mentioned this whole thing about attention uh, that's available in skills and it made me think of the fact that there are a lot of the things that you listed are not my strong suit do you see a lot of times that you have kids that have an issue with attention and then you notice the parents also struggle with some of that absolutely okay but I mean it's very hard to um, compare parents to kids because yeah. aging reduces a lot of those things oh as really well. is, that yeah. my, is that the excuse i could use <laughs> i mean you just have too many you, when you have many things that you have to pay attention to your attention yeah. level goes down your memory of course is impacted by age but uh, i find that just parents as a whole being able to, like how we learn to pay attention to yeah. five different things at the same time i think it's a very adaptive skill in some ways yeah. like you, when your child is very young really you're not just paying attention to the child you're paying attention to the child the safety of the environment yeah. Yeah. your own needs perhaps your you know your spouse your other children it's just you learn to expand your attention and the more you're paying attention to multiple stimuli obviously you're yeah. less able to focus on one yeah. thing yeah yeah i don't think i i the, the shifting attention i don't think i was ever good at and i always say once i became a parent I can't walk and talk and chew gum at the same yeah, time anymore because yeah. I always say I have Gem 101 running in the background. Totally. I, uh, and it takes up a lot of disk space. Absolutely. My kids make fun of me because I have, you know, all three of them are occasionally, not occasionally, almost all the time, <laughs> talking to me at the same time, yeah. you know. And same, of course, here at college. Yes, As I was going to say, it's, it's like, a lot. That's my life. It's like someone's on the phone, someone's on my computer, I am in me, someone's in my office, and it's all happening at the same time. But I see yeah. you're very good at that. Not really. That's why my kids make fun of me because I'm like trying to pay attention and sometimes I just be like, okay, everybody stop yeah. one by one. Like okay. I can't process it. Well, that helps me to know that you have to do that because you appear to be very good at that. So. It's yeah, no, it, not really. <laughs> it's a world of multitasking. It okay, is. great answer to that videotape question. Uh, next question, what do you do with a teenager who seems to have an endless amount of anger? He doesn't mm. want to do what we ask him to do, and they wrote, so frustrated and scared. Yeah, yeah, okay. Really good question. So you have to, these are, you know, when I, that's why I said to you at one point I love my teenagers because it's easier to step into their shoes and see how they're processing the world, mm -hmm. for me at least. So well, thank goodness that you can because a yeah, lot of us are confused the, at that point. The, I, honestly, Shannon, it's like, it's just, it's exactly what we go through. Okay. So just think of yourself 
-hmm. Why do you get angry? Mm -hmm. What are the things that make you angry? There are things that you can't change right. and they cause you frustration. Mm -hmm. So this always goes back to my basic lecture on ABA, which is if you want to analyze behavior and you want to think about uh, why we do anything, mm -hmm. it's uh, always if we want to get something good or avoid something bad. Okay. That's the bottom line, no matter what it is. And um, if you want to get something good, you know, in ABA, we'll refer to that as attention seeking or tangible function. That means you're trying to get an object or you're trying to get someone's attention. If you're trying to avoid something bad, that's like escape behavior or avoidance behavior. You want to get out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to do all the work they're telling you to do and mm -hmm. all that. If you have no control over those factors, mm -hmm. you'll be frustrated. Yeah. When you have, fr when you are, which means you don't know what you need to do to get the things you want at a certain level, and you don't know what you need to do to avoid the things you don't want at a certain level. So frustration, what happens with frustration, some of our kids internalize frustration, it becomes depression. Some of our kids externalize frustration, it becomes aggression. Mm -hmm. So aggression is just frustration. That's all it is. So the first thing it tells me is in this adolescent's life and this teenage, I think, did they say teenager? Or, they said yeah. teenager. There's some frustration, which means that um, the, the there's too many demands and not enough reinforcers. That's essentially how to you know, okay. define Okay, too many it. demands, not, not enough, enough reinfor reinforcers. reinforcers. Not enough positives, too many negatives from his perspective. Okay. okay. So it might be a very normal schedule. You have to get up in the morning, go to school, do this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. But it's harder for him. So it's more of an aversive for him to do the things that are being asked of him right now. And when he does them, he doesn't feel rewarded enough. So what he's doing is he's um, in his aggression, he's mm -hmm. saying, this just isn't fair. This is just not okay. So you have to figure out, and this is very hard sometimes for us as parents, but you have to figure out and, you know, just step back from it, list all the things that you know 100% are positives for him, are rewards okay. and reinforcers. Not things you think, right. but things you know he likes. Right. And you could even ask him, depending on his functioning level, right. give him choices, pictures, and so on. So you can identify what are his reinforcers, mm -hmm. and then list all the demands that are being made of him. Him mm. on a daily basis anything from getting up in the morning could be hugely aversive for him I don't know his biochemistry I don't know how right. he's sleeping I don't know anything about what's causing him uh, stress so and and the demands are so many during the course of the day that we don't even think about it yeah you know it's like getting up getting dressed having breakfast he might not like any of those right going to taking school, a shower taking even. a shower some kids hate that uh, various foods they eat might be causing them discomfort. They mm -hmm. can't express it. Going to school, being embarrassed in yeah. front of other kids, not knowing how to join other uh, friends or find friends mm -hmm. or all of that might, might be additional pressure. Wherever those pressures and, and demands exist, you need to figure out a way to make them easier. Okay. Whether you, re I, uh, one of the lectures I give sometimes is on like the topic of uh, when kids have IV infusions mm. or injections or something unpleasant, like you go to the dentist, have your teeth pulled, whatever it is. 
that day, if it was you, you'd take it easier on yourself. Yeah. You'd give you if you're let's say on a diet, you won't diet when you're feeling like bad you know mm -hmm. really terrible so is you do it for yourself we just have to realize that for our kids certain demands that we place on them are harder for yeah. them and you have to reduce those demands you have to uh, model more prompt more so give more support just know that something in his life is too hard you have to bring the balance mm -hmm. and the balance of making our kids happy is always the demands and the reinforcers have to be even okay and that's not just our kids that's us that's everyone right. right you wake up in the morning if you feel terrible that day but you have something really cool and exciting or something you want happening later in the day yeah. like you wake up and you have a cold and you think well that's okay I'm going to a spa today right. everything's fine again <laughs> you wake up and you're feeling sick and you're like oh my god I gotta go on a construction site for 12 hours today too much demand but right. hey tomorrow I'll get to rest everything's fine again okay. the reinforcers always have to balance the demands and when they don't uh, people become aggressive or depressed or anxious or whatever. What a great way of looking at things yeah. for our kids and for us as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very simple. Very we empowering. get lost in it though because we're, we think if he's aggressing, he's behaving bad and I need to somehow punish him and that is just not the truth. We right. all aggress and that doesn't mean that we're behaving bad that means we've gone over our limits okay it's not like our kids intentionally want to be mean no they don't that's the only way he knows to balance his environment so when is he when does he get aggressive because that's probably around the time something is happening that's just too high demand okay really yeah. fascinating yeah and and can we should we assume that all of this is unconscious for the child and not get into uh, having a discussion with them and trying to ask them to identify what it is you know because they may not know oh my right? gosh no way will they be able to know we don't know i mean a lot of times what we do is we just assume uh, various things you know like uh, it could be a multiple a hundred different reasons but what I it, it is most of the time unconscious or like the child is not aware because what's happening is this is how the process goes um, I want something I can't get it I aggress and then I get it right and so I learn oh aggression is not all that bad right you know it, it's it is the tool right. that helps me get my reinforcers so yeah. I balance out a little bit and think about that again it's not just about our kids it's no. about anyone right yeah. um, why do certain employers just yell at everyone yeah. why because in the past when they've yelled at people the work they wanted has gotten done Yes. So they've been successful, so they've learned this is a way to deal with it. Or maybe not. Maybe they've been successful as a child, and whenever they yelled, parents would stop bothering them. Whatever it is. We learn these behaviors, right. and it's not like we're aware of what we're doing. Certainly not our kids. Right. Now, having said that, um, our kids also model from each other. Yeah. So a child could potentially see another child in school aggress mm -hmm. and get taken out of the classroom and from our child's perspective it'll be like that's not bad I'd like to get out of the classroom mm -hmm. maybe that's what I should do that mm -hmm. kind of seemed to work or 
aggress, a child might aggress in a classroom and get a lot of attention, teacher, everyone, and our child will misunderstand that this wasn't really good attention, right. but nevertheless, it's attention, I'll right. go for it, right. and they'll learn. And it's, you know, aggressing and just like pushing people away and so on is almost also a protective innate uh, behavior that we have. It's like if something harms you, you push it away or you try to get rid of it. So it's a very natural reaction for someone to get aggress uh, aggressive. The only reason we don't is because we've learned social norms. I mean, otherwise everybody would, caveman, cavemen did, yeah. you know? So it's, a, it's once social rules developed of, hey, you can't hate people, you know, then a lot of people learn. Some people didn't learn, and they yeah. still do, right? Which right. is why we have abuse situations and right. so on. So um, it isn't, it certainly is not something the child is aware of. Okay. Uh, always remember, any challenging behavior is just communication. The, okay. the individual is trying to say something they, they can't otherwise, or they don't know how to otherwise. I love this because it's very empowering because you take the fear out of it. It oh, starts yeah. to make sense. Oh, totally, totally. And that's a very empowering thing. That's that's wonderful. I think we should take a break and we're going to come back. Keep your questions coming in and we'll be back more with Dr. Doreen Grampuchet after these messages. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuchet, a true visionary in the field of autism. And I know last week I had said something about the fact that you had over two decades and you corrected me and said over three decades <laughs> of experience working with children on the autism spectrum, which is, you know, you only have to speak to you to hear it, but uh, you certainly don't look it. Oh, uh, thank you. So, <laughs> Uh, in any case, we were talking during the last segment about uh, a viewer had written in about a teenager who had a lot of anger, and there was something that you wanted to add to it when we went to right. break. Right. I just I don't want people to get the impression that when an uh, individual as a child or, or an adolescent has a lot of anger and aggressive behaviors that all you do is reduce their demands and so on. You you fix the situation by reducing the demands and increasing the rewards, but at the same time. The individual, the child or adolescent has to get the concept that this isn't a functional form of communicating with people. This is not okay, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to not give in to uh, whatever it is that the person is seeking out by aggressing. Mm -hmm. So if the person aggresses because they want to get out of a classroom, it's very important to not let them get out. If the person aggresses because they try to get an object or because they don't want to stop doing an activity, it's important to make sure they don't get the object or they continue the activity. It's So you do the opposite of what they're trying to achieve. And instead, what you do is you redirect, you get other types of activities that will bring in the reinforcers. You don't want to be reinforcing the aggressive behavior. Right. And that but has attention to be clear. is one of the hardest ones. If they're seeking attention oh, yeah. and they're aggressing, uh, aggressing, that's one of the hardest ones because you, you certainly don't want to ignore the behavior, but you, or excuse me, you don't want to ignore the child, but you do want to not reinforce the behavior. The behavior, yeah. And that's, again, why you know the field of ABA has developed so much and has given us so many different really very 
clear rules about how you identify the function of a behavior. You know, when I first started, all the functional analysis stuff wasn't really in place at, back then. Oh, really? and it was very hard to do uh, or to train people to do functional analysis. Now you do a functional assessment of something, it's very easy. You mm -hmm. just identify what the reason is. Mm -hmm. And yes, in some cases, you will be ignoring the whole child. In some cases, you'll be just ignoring the behavior. Mm -hmm. In some cases, you will. And, and that's a very important thing. When we say ignoring the behavior, like when I teach about extinction, which yeah. is sort of ignoring the behavior, um, I really go into a hundred examples mm -hmm. because you're not, you don't even talk about it. Right. So it's like you don't go, you don't say to the child, <clears throat> I'm going to ignore you now because you're doing something bad because right. by doing that, you're not ignoring. And it sounds ridiculous, but I have in fact done that. Oh, oh of course. We all <laughs> I have do done that. that. We all do that. I mean, I I'm ignoring say, that behavior. I still sometimes say to my little one something like, you know, I'm just not interacting with you anymore. <laughs> and you know what? You, I just interacted. <laughs> And the truth is, all you have to do is just walk away. Yeah. The, the scenarios where you don't walk away is just safety issues yes. to, your, to the child themselves or to others. Um, and I swear to you, a lot of times parents say to me that my child is, um, let's say, becomes so aggressive that they will injure themselves. Mm. For instance, hit their head on the yeah. wall or desk or something. And I will tell them to put a video monitor in the room and watch the child from outside. 99% of the time, we don't do aggressive acts to ourselves or property destruction or anything like that unless there's someone else present. Yeah. Because, and that tells you right away it's attention seeking. Yeah. Amazing. And then uh, we also wanted to note uh, that we talked about during the break that if you're having a child who's having a great deal of anger issues. Yeah. And uh, an adolescent. And, and an it's adolescent. getting scary. Yeah. Get professional help. And this is, you know, I talk about this because this is my language. This is how I've lived yeah. most of my life. It isn't easy. Right. And when you are dealing with an adolescent who could potentially, who is probably bigger than you, stronger than you, you should get uh, professional help. You really should. We have a program here at CAR. It's called SOS, Specialized Outpatient Services, mm -hmm. and we that program is short term. Uh, going and dealing or bringing in our kids and dealing with just severe challenging behavior and training the parents how to deal with severe challenging behavior and, and it works. And I think a lot of times people assume that that's just for the younger kids and it really oh, no. isn't. It, it goes the gamut. Well, it definitely goes the gamut because the younger kids are so much easier yeah. and when you become just larger and stronger and you still don't have functional communication skills, aggression develops at all different ages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So good thing to note. And if you're interested in finding out more about the SOS services, you can go to centerforautism.com uh, or you can call the 800 number and they'll connect you with that. I know we were clients of SOS at one point when right. Jem was hitting me in the head. Right. And I got to the point where I said, help, help, we need help. Um, and they came in and turned that around very quickly for very us. Quickly. And if you, I don't know if you still are having Jonathan on the show, he's yes, a regular, you, Fridays, should, yes. you should talk to him more but you should have him talk more about challenging behavior i will i've heard him lecture on the subject
project and he's spectacular. Yes, he really is yeah. incredible. And I will I will make sure that we do that. He's away this week because he's at ABAI, the autism conference oh, yeah, speaking. That's right, that's right. Um, oh. But I'm jealous. I, I, would, <laughs> I would also like to be there. But um, he'll come back and tell us all kinds of things about that. And I've asked for those of you who are viewers, if you're attending, to let us know different things, talks that you went to and what you thought of them. Uh, but I digress. Uh, our next question, uh, and you've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, they want to know, what do you think of all the different autism diets, the low oxalate, paleo, SCD, Feingold, GFCF? There are a wide variety of diets that are out there. It can be very confusing. We're going to be doing some more shows about that, but um, what is your opinion? And yes, there are a lot of diets out there, and it is very confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, My opinion about that is that, and this is sad to say, but the truth is that uh, many of the ones you uh, listed there, I have seen have different types of interactions with kids. So it's like uh, certain medications, for instance, that will have a positive effect on one child and not on another child, and the diets are the same. A lot of the kids, when, when you know, we first started tracking dietary stuff, uh, the GFCF and then later, of course, soy and corn, uh, free as well, but th that diet was spectacular and it was showing a lot of different types of effects on a lot of our kids. Um, there are other kids who have other issues like a lot of yeast issues. Mm -hmm. you, those will impact what type of diet. Um, kids with seizure will have a certain type of diet. If you're looking at some of the kids with the specific carb diet do extremely well. Others do absolutely horribly. Uh, the low oxalate diet has had a lot of impact on some of my kids. I've seen that. It just really varies. In that realm, in the dietary, I really truly suggest you work with a very experienced nutritionist. There are some, Julie Matthews for instance is a very, very good nutritionist. There are some really good nutritionists in the field and, um, and or also with a physician who is familiar with these diets and can help you really understand which is which and how it works. The low oxalates, um, Susan Owens from, who is part of the ARI group mm -hmm. basically, is a mom who is extremely um, knowledgeable about the low oxalate more than anyone else I know. Um, of course on the SCD diet there's a lot of books, mm -hmm. uh, Feingold, all of these other diets have been published and there's a lot of material on them but, and there are some lab tests that help you establish which one you should go to but even the lab tests are not 100% accurate. Yeah. So really it's a matter of working with a nutritionist where you can eliminate certain foods and measure the outcome, measure yeah. the behavior change. The most common question parents ask me is, um, you know, I, we, we went off, uh, let's say, gluten and we really didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, as long as you were off of it for about three months and you yeah. didn't see anything, as long as you were 100% off yeah. for about three months and didn't see anything fine yeah. because and, and I also want to say that one of the best tests for these things is a challenge test so you're off gluten for three months introduce the child to some gluten and see if you see a change in behavior yeah. you're off casein for three months and or even casein is even faster a month you'll see reaction changes but you know um, the other part of this which for me is a little bit more I guess uh, um, I can generalize more. So mm -hmm. with the, that response, I can't really generalize because each of those diets I've heard have different types of effects. Yeah. And there are studies showing that as well. Yeah. Now, 
as a whole, generally, um, our, the general diet that our kids are exposed to is not very good in the U.S. And as a whole, even worse than that, the food we have is not that good. Yeah. So I really do actually recommend that parents work with nutritionists as much as possible. We are actually looking to hire a nutritionist here at CARD because it's, it does have a pretty big impact on our yeah. kids. And being able to have, you know, organic or really farmed foods, um, that in itself makes a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And just a programming note, you mentioned Julie Matthews from Nourishing Hope. She's going to be here on the show on February 11th. That's true. So if you're interested in, in watching that, you can tune in Is for she that. coming in? or uh, We're going to Skype with her. Oh, that's terrific. We're going to Skype with her. Okay. Um, but I'm excited to have her on the show. Uh, okay, our next question from a viewer. My child was making great progress and now seems to have stagnated. She hasn't mastered anything in, the, in at least six weeks. My ABA provider doesn't think there is anything to worry about. I would love to know your opinion. Shouldn't we be changing something? Oh, I wish I knew the age of the child and, uh, and what programs. Okay, I don't know the age. That doesn't help at all, but um, six weeks is a too long of a period for no progress if, if you're doing basic core lessons. Okay. Six weeks is a very short period of having no progress if you're doing advanced lessons. Okay. So if you're doing something like, you know, touch colors, letters, objects, labels, actions, whatever, something that's core prepositions, you know, easy stuff that you should generally, that usually has a, it's not abstract. It's right. very concrete and you have stimuli and so on. Then six weeks is... It's not even all that long, but it is long. You should have some progress daily. Okay. Um, with, but if you're doing advanced programs, like teaching the child how to uh, jokes, tell jokes, how yeah. to see other people's perspectives, six weeks is nothing. Okay. That's a very typical time frame for, for the child to just start to learn something uh, basic, something that advanced. Mm -hmm. So that has a lot to do with it. But if it's a young child and it's basic programming, then yeah. Okay. And, and let me say another thing. I don't know the intensity. Right. So one of the biggest things that happens is parents will say to me, I mean, right now I just took over a family on the East Coast, which uh, is an important family to me, and, and um, they were sort of disappointed that they weren't seeing a lot of progress. And um, I went in to kind of look at their programming, and I realized, oh, my gosh, they're only doing four hours a week of programming oh. and they're in school the child is in school and has special ed at school but you know at that level I would not really include special ed at school as part of their ABA program mm -hmm. and really there and the, and the child also has speech and also has OT like one hour of each a week but four hours of ABA I wouldn't expect to see anything okay. and that is the that's the core problem I think Shannon that people don't understand is that you do really only have a certain period of time you don't want these ABA programs to go on for the child's life right so you that's why you intensify because at four hours of ABA a week I'm coming nowhere close to teaching this child the skills they need not, I'm not even teaching a tenth of the skills yeah. they need so it's you really need to intensify you really and so that's a core reason too so ask yourself if you're doing enough to make change that's I, and the example I always give is 
if a physician gives you a drug and says you have to take 25 milligrams of this and you take two milligrams, yeah. you're not going to see a change. In fact, which, what's going to happen is the individual will, will uh, become resistant to that drug. And it's the same with ABA. You do four hours, it doesn't really have a big enough impact, and your child's going to get frustrated because why am I doing four hours of this thing that isn't teaching me much? Right. Right. Yeah. Somebody gave me the example the other day that when stars prepare for a movie and they want to get really defined muscularly, how in the intensity of what they oh, do yes. with a trainer exactly. is, great, is, great is so much more. And that when we're trying to work out at home and we're doing little shifts and doing 10 minutes of working out, we don't stick with it. Right. We're not going to get ripped. Right. And, and we aren't going to stay doing it. Right. But when you get that level of intensity is when you're going to get those amazing results. And I right. thought, oh, okay, that makes a certain it amount does, of sense. Absolutely. Um, um, okay, our next question. Uh, I want to start preparing my 14-year-old to be able to hold a job, but I have no idea how to start. Are there good books on the subject, or do you have any suggestions about getting them job ready starting at 14? That seems great that they're That's starting amazing. that early. It's just so amazing that we're getting so many questions today that are right where my life is right now. Uh -huh. Um, we're just in the process of working with, um, I think I've mentioned to you, Dr. Louis Mara, um, who is one of the original founders of the Mind Institute, yes. and an amazing, amazing man, and um, he also is a, an advisor to the Senate, to Senator Steinberg, and he is in, in California, in Sacramento, mm -hmm. and uh, with his help, we've started to s develop right now a classroom for which is going to be focused on just vocational training for adolescents. And right. we're using—it's not just vocational training. Um, we're doing two things. We're using technology also to mm. teach vocational skills. Right. And the, and this is up in Sacramento, and um, I think the school name is Sierra, but I can get more information on this if, if the person wants. Um, so we're just beginning to develop this. The person that is very good with vocational training and with for adolescents and up is Peter Gerhardt. If you look up Peter Gerhardt, he, he's in New York, I believe, and uh, but he does have a lot of stuff online that he has published on um, how to teach uh, work okay. skills and so on. And we just pulled one of our uh, managing supervisors, actually, or we're in the process of pulling her off and having her just write and develop our vocational training uh, curriculum. And we're videotaping all of what we're teaching right now so that we can also have some video training going on. Right. But yeah, there is actually a lot of material out there. And I think okay. Peter Gerhardt's website would be a good place to start. OK, great. And how do you spell Gerhardt? G-E-R-H-A-R-D-T. Okay, good. Fabulous. Great information. Okay, we're almost out of time. So, uh, oh, this is a great question because I sometimes my, my child cycles through this. Uh, my child asks me a question and I answer him. Then three minutes later, he'll ask me the same question again. I answer it again and then a few minutes later, he'll ask the question again. And the thing is, he really doesn't remember the answer I gave him. It drives me buggy. Is there a way to make it stop? <laughs> I, so, I don't know if, and we only have a couple of minutes so yeah. I'll be fast. I don't know if he doesn't remember oh. or if he there could be three things here in my mind. He doesn't remember, which is easy enough to fix because you can write it in front of him mm. or do some sort of a visual that reminds him. Mm -hmm. um, so he doesn't have to keep asking you. So actually if you have a visual 
you know, some sort of icon that represents the answer or some writing, if he can read, then uh, just place that in front of him or give it to him when he asks. Mm -hmm. The second thing it could be is that he's just trying to communicate with you and he doesn't mm -hmm. have language enough to communicate. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different story and you basically ignore that. When, when the question repeats itself, you ignore the question and you interact in a different way. Okay. So you increase interaction. And the third thing could be that it's a very either anxiety-provoking mm. or exciting thing that he's asking you about. Okay. And so he's trying to be sure. <laughs> In other words, he's trying to make sure that it's either going to happen or not happen. Okay. And he wants reassurance. So in those cases, again, it's hard to answer this because it really has to do with the level of functioning of the right. child. Right. And if the child is at a certain level of functioning and you can identify now, pay attention to it in the future, if it's an anxiety-provoking thing, I would sit down, if the child's at a higher level function, I would sit down with the child and just say, what are the things that are scaring you about this mm. right now? And start visualizing that, like help him through the anxiety, actually. Yeah. Or if it's something that's extremely exciting, then I would use the opportunity that he keeps asking to sit down and, like, you know, write things about what are the exciting things about this activity. Or I would engage him in some other way to discuss the exciting things. But I think the easiest answer that might help mm. in no matter what scenario is to somehow think of a visual cue card or something that you can give to the child, let's say, the second time they ask. You can have the child prepare the, the visual. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what's on there, because when they look at the card, it'll remind them of the answer. I'm going to go home and make a card that says, dinner is cooking. There you go. Because is that what he asks? That's what my child, he says, mom, I'm hungry. And I say, okay, dinner, is, and he'll say, what's for dinner, and uh, is dinner almost ready? And I'll say, dinner is cooking. It's okay. going to be ready in this amount so of time. There you go. Anticipation of something exciting. He, and He's then hungry, ask it again. he wants food. Oh. You know what else you could do, Shannon, is yeah. you could just simply set a timer for him. Okay. So you need 20 more minutes, set it and say, when this thing goes off in 20 yeah. minutes, then there must be ready. And then tape it to his face. Well, I mean, just <laughs> I won't need to because he'll stop asking. Yeah, and you know what? If he moves around the house, then just draw the timer so okay. he'll, on a card. And okay. Put it in his so what he'll do is learn to look at the timer. That'll remind him yeah. and see how much time's left. Yeah, because he... Or is. even on a clock, tell him when this hits seven, that's yeah. when it's ready. Yeah, because, oh, he can ask me that 300 times. Yeah. And I get to the point where I go... <laughs> Yeah, no, always figure out why. And yeah. the only thing is he doesn't know how to measure time. A lot of times our kids don't know how to measure time. So when you yeah. say soon, it means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah.